I was really proud at the way I had built the company and run the company. I didn't feel like we had really any concern about people. If you looked at our finances, you'd see one of the most profitable agencies in the world at the time. And so I felt really confident about the way we did our business. You know, I didn't have a lot of agencies have things they're trying to keep secret. I didn't really have that. So I wasn't so concerned about it. Once I satisfied myself that I could keep my client information all confidential, then I, I was okay with it. And I mean, to be perfectly frank, this was a great business opportunity. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening and share, share, share. We would love to spread these episodes around to your buddies. Today, we've got another great one. We've got Greg Gensky, CEO of Vayner Sports in partnership with Gary V, past CEO of Legacy Sports, one of the top sports agents in the world. We're going to end this episode with gratitude, meditation, and routine. And along the way, you're going to hear how Greg is such an impact on everyone, including me, that he touches. He's going to talk about his vision, seeing the next steps, seeing industry change, seeing life change. And of course, along the way, we're going to talk about how to become an agent, what exactly is an agent, and what to expect as you travel the path towards sports agency. Welcome to the show, and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Greg Getsky, thank you for taking time coming off the beach before your flight to Scottsdale, Arizona to hang out with a bunch of aspiring professional baseball players. We're going to get into what it means to be an agent. We're going to get into why you're working with aspiring uh, stars as opposed to just the stars you worked worked with in the past and how that agent world has changed, what an agent is. Maybe talk a little bit about surfing with your kids and traveling around the world. But before we do, we're going to start the way we always start. Greg, what is your definition of excellence? My definition of excellence is having an awareness of what your strengths are, what your goals are, what your priorities are, what your ethics are, and executing by always doing your best. That's interesting. So, and we're going to get into it, but you've been a lawyer, um, you're an entrepreneur, you've been an agent, you've been an agent and an entrepreneur, you've started a few companies. We're going to get into um, what your strengths are and what your goals were and you know your execution. I remember being in Cuba with you four in the morning. I don't even know why I was awake. I walk out on the balcony and there you are talking to a player, you know, getting your work done at four in the morning. And I believe if I recall right, we couldn't have cell phones in Cuba and you had a cell phone mailed from England so you could actually make calls and stay in contact. So you were prioritizing those players and getting it done. Plus you're a great family man. Let's go back before we get into what an agent does and how to become an agent and you know the skills you need. Go back way in life. You went to high school where? I went to Diamond Bar High School in Southern California. Grew up playing baseball. Baseball was my life. And upper middle class, 
middle class diamond bar playing baseball. And then did you get into Pepperdine on a, as a baseball player? Yeah, I, I got in um, as a student and also to play baseball, although it didn't last very long on the baseball side, unfortunately. And I had planned on like nothing further than baseball, like for my career, for my life. Like that was pretty much it. So in high school, you were getting pretty good grades and you were a star baseball player? Somewhere on the spectrum of pretty good in star and probably in both of those. But <laughs> Okay. Okay. Not, not always a star. But your whole plan, and a lot of people have that plan, and you and I have talked a few times, there's a town near us where it, I call it a Little League town, and everybody's focused on Little League, and you know their whole life is Little League, and maybe they're not focused on grades enough, and maybe they're not focused on what their other steps are. And you told me one time, I think there's one person every five years that goes to uh, pro baseball out of that town. Is that right? Yeah. The odds are pretty stacked against you if you want to be a professional athlete. And I know you live the world of professional athlete and many people don't have a backup plan. So you didn't really have a backup plan. No, I didn't. But fortunately, I went to play in college. So there I was able to kind of formulate a backup plan and and pursue an education. So I was fortunate in that regard. So you're. You're, you had your strengths of uh, being on the spectrum of great grades. You had your strengths of being on the spectrum of a great baseball player. You had your goals to play Major League Baseball. You had your priority of working out and getting it done and uh, leading the team. And then your goals changed. And luckily, you're in a position where you're in a college, perfectly set up to have your goals change. And then what happened when you left baseball? What did you decide to do? Was it immediately you wanted to be a lawyer? It was a huge switch because my passion had always been sports generally, baseball predominantly, football a little bit too. So that was my passion. That's where I wanted to spend my whole life. And when I realized I wasn't going to be a player anymore, I kind of just pulled away from sports. You know, fortunately, I was at Pepperdine, so was able to get a lot of good time surfing. And I, I just kind of did an inventory on what I thought I was good at and what I thought I might enjoy. And then the super cheesy part of this story, which is true, I was watching the movie A Few Good Men. You know, the military uh, legal movie in court. And I thought, Jack Nicholson, is that the Jack Nicholson one? You can't handle the truth, of course. So I'm, I'm watching this and I'm watching, you know, these young guys compete in court. And I'm like, you know, I think I can do that. You know, I want to be a trial lawyer. Like, I, I would love to have that kind of competition as part of my daily job. So you change your goals, but you're still focused on the same strengths. And you're still focused on passion and you're finding an alliance between what your old goal was and your new goal. And you want to be a trial lawyer. So you go. So somehow you decide to be an accountant first, which was a total misfit. It's uh, well, I was I was a business major at my dad's behest. And my dad is an accountant, has an accounting firm. So when I got out, the plan was get it, get a year of experience in accounting. So I got the business degree. I got the, the experience in accounting, all things that would help me greatly. Uh, later in life, when I not only became a trial attorney, but after that, a business person, an entrepreneur as well. Okay, so still thinking long term then. So you're shifting from baseball long term, and you went and became an accountant on the way to you already knew you were going to be a lawyer. Yes. And the accounting job was a little bit unique. So your resumes, you know, I played baseball in college. I got this great degree. I got pretty good grades. I'm assuming you got pretty good grades if you went to Berkeley. And then the icing on the cake, you have this special thing that nobody else has. Very few people are going to go be an accountant before they go to law school. So you're telling the story to those graduate school acceptance officers. And that's what you got to do. You got to tell the story. You got to paint the picture. Here's why I'm unique. 
and you've got this sports passion and you go to Berkeley, you get your, and I believe you're, you're a professor still at Berkeley now. Yeah. I've been a professor at Berkeley for the past seven years. Okay. So you get your Berkeley law degree, sports, your passion, but somehow you're in this tech law firm and you get a big job in a big law firm being a, a trial attorney, but you're in tech all of a sudden, which wasn't what you wanted. And then Morad Steinberg, and for those listening that don't know what Morad Steinberg is, there was a movie called Jerry Maguire uh, made a few years back. A lot of people have seen Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire worked in a agency firm and branches off and starts a new firm on his own. And that was Steinberg. And he partnered up, I think, with somebody in the movie. And that was Morad. Am I remembering it right? Yeah. So um, to go back real quick for a second, you know, you talk about sacrifices. Being an accountant was kind of like an homage to the family business. And it was a sacrifice that I didn't realize at the time would pay huge dividends. I think the biggest dividends it paid is it made me laser focused on succeeding in law school and being a lawyer because I hated it. I hated it so much. And my thought was if I could put that kind of eight to five a work regimen dedication into being a law student, I'll be better. And then I saw my academics go to a whole nother level. And um, that's only because I did the work as an accountant. And then also the work as accountant translated later when I became an entrepreneur. But while I was in law school, I knew I wanted to be a trial lawyer. So I started trying cases right away. I worked for the San Francisco Public Defender's Office. And that's where I cut my teeth, got into court, making arguments before I was a lawyer. So while I was still in law school. Got out of law school and hit the ground running, got into a very successful trial practice group at a firm called Brobeck, Flagger & Harrison, San Francisco-based, uh, representing some of the top tech companies in the country at the time. Uh, I tried cases for Cisco Systems, Apple, Siebel Systems, uh, tried cases all over the country, um, was rarely in California, and just really had an unbelievable experience as a trial attorney. And was off to, you know, off and on my way in what I thought would be my career for the rest of my life. And that's when I met Steinberg and Morad, Lee Steinberg and Jeff Morad. As you mentioned, they were the inspiration behind Jerry Maguire, the creative consultants, kind of the OGs of the agent business. You know, there was a, back in the late 80s and 90s, I think they represented like half the first round draft picks every year. They represented like 75% of the quarterbacks in the NFL, hugely successful. They uh, needed me in my trial group because they got into a very serious business dispute where the very existence of their sports agency was in jeopardy. And so I was trying cases that were about trade secret misappropriation, unfair competition, those sorts of business disputes. That's exactly what this one was. So they brought me and my team in. And then that's my transgression back into sports. That's when I, I got back into sports. Uh, the passion was kind of reignited. I had to learn how to be an agent. And I got to learn from the two best, you know, all time, Jeff Morad and Lee Steinberg. So I learned the whole business, learned to become an agent, represented them for a little over a year, went to a jury trial in LA. We won a $45 million jury verdict for them. And right after that, they gave me an opportunity to become an agent, but not just to become an agent, but to come in with the idea of taking the agency over as Jeff Morad wanted to go on and buy a uh, professional baseball team. So that's the, that's the progression to Steinberg and Morad, kind of my progression back into sports. So um, if we unravel some of that, um, you've got this, these strengths that you're, I mean, how old were you at this point in time when you first took them on as a client? I was 20, 29. 29. So by 29 years old, you kind of know what your strengths are. You kind of know your passions. Um, your goals keep changing, though. Your goals of baseball, goals of lawyer. And, and, you're, and you seem to be constantly thinking of being ready for possible next steps. You're not thinking about the next step. You're not thinking, I'm going to leave my law firm. But you seem, and I've known you a while, you seem to constantly be thinking about 
being ready for possible next steps, being prepared when there's a fork in the road. So you're doing a really good job as a trial attorney. You got a little bit of accounting background. You got a business degree. And I, I just don't understand how Morad looks at this person that's arguing a case for him and then decides, hey, I think you should be an agent. How did you go from how did you even get the agency job, let alone take over the whole agency? It was a huge transition, no question about it, and a big learning curve. But I think what you know, Lee and Jeff break down the agent business into really three buckets of recruiting uh, talent, athletes, clients, maintaining those relationships, which is critical, and then being able to negotiate great deals. And so they were able to witness my, my skill set firsthand over a long period of time where the stakes were really high. And a lot of the work I did involved interacting with professional athletes, clients who are with the company, clients who left the company, taking their depositions, cross-examining Drew Bledsoe and other players at trial. And so Jeff, who is an incredibly smart man, smarter than me, somehow thought that I would be very good at all three of these things. And that's what he needed as a leader and successor for the agency. So he took a chance, you know, and the whole industry, you know, immediately took notice and Everybody thought it'd be a feeding frenzy. We're going to lose every client. And yeah, no way this 30-year-old trial attorney is going to be able to run an agency. And so there was a lot of risk to it. Uh, Jeff had the confidence in me, forever grateful for that. And I just went to work, you know? And I, again, like, you know, you, you asked me about sacrifices at the beginning. An accountant was a sacrifice. Going to work at the big firm was a sacrifice because the rest of my life was on hold. All I did is try cases. That's it. There was nothing else you know, worked those long hours, worked more than everybody, worked harder than everybody, got the opportunities to be in court and do great things because of, I think, some inherent skill set, but also the hard work as much or more than anything. And so that, and then when I got in the agent business, it was the same thing. It was a whole new learning curve. And I remember when I, when I accepted the offer and win, I was kind of like, I've had the successful trial attorney practice I was hoping to have. This would be a nice transition and break and we'll see how it goes. And then I'll go back and be a trial attorney later. But then I got into the agent business and threw myself in it completely. You know, hit the road, just threw myself into it completely. Put in again the the I guess the theme with me always I put in the work. You know, the work that required to build the relationships, build the network. Well, it's not it's not you put in the work. It's that you worked harder than everybody. And when we were in Cuba, you were working harder than everybody. And when we were in Spain, you were working harder than everybody. And as a father, you work as hard, if not harder than anybody. And organizing your schedule and being able to surf with your kids and be at home for all the events and still see your players, you're constantly working harder than everybody. But back to the three buckets that uh, Morad came up with, retain, uh, negotiate. So he sees you negotiating as a trial attorney. He knows that you can negotiate and you're going to be negotiating with the owners, with the players, but there's the recruit and retain. And so by watching you interact with the people you're interacting with, he realized that you're the type of pe person people want to hang out with. People want to keep hanging out with. You're good at retaining relationships. You're good at not burning bridges. You're handling the opposing clients differently than other lawyers. You're handling his clients differently than other lawyers. And he realizes that you've got this not only sales ability from your trial practice, but you've got these interpersonal skills that he feels would be great to find people that want to hang out with you. They just need you to represent them if they're hanging out with you and find people that are going to stay. You and I went up to one time you were flaking out on me for lunch like you're doing today. Never happened. 
and i think it was the third or fourth time so i jumped in your car and we drove up and uh who is the guy the famous baseball player that i know you've given up almost all of your baseball clients but you kept this one person and you told me one time you would do it for free um who is that guy justin turner who has just finished a long career at the dodgers now with the red sox and i remember that you were nice enough to accompany me up for the drive up to la and back Thank you. And how many people that you know would forget his name? And I think he's going to the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Uh, too early to tell. Hopefully there's a lot of career left before we get there. But um, no, no one you know would forget his name besides me, right? Yeah, no, but your your knowledge of sports always impresses me. <laughs> I think sometimes people like you want to hang out with me because I'm the only person that doesn't ask for tickets or want an autograph. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I can take you in front of a client like Justin Turner and you like don't even know who he is. Just a nice, normal conversation. Treat him like a normal person. And that's great. That's way better. Not even. Well, he is a normal person. Um, so uh, so coming back to this. So Morad and I just want there's a lot of people that listen to this right now on 1.5 speed. Maybe they've slowed down for this part. They want to be an agent. And you had somebody that decided you should be an agent. And, and Jeff Morad has it down to recruit retain, negotiate. And you've got this, uh, you have this unique ability. You keep talking about working hard and you talked about your strengths, your goals, your priorities, but there's a unique ability. Unique ability is something that you're really good at and you like doing. So you have this unique ability of retention, I think, of retention of relationships. So for someone listening right now that wants to be an agent one day and they and we're going to get into you got to go to law school and you look at this crazy uh, resume and how do I duplicate what Greg did? It's probably not going to be duplicated. You're not going to have someone say, hey, you're a lawyer right now. You should be uh, an agent. How do you develop the skills to recruit and retain in your early 20s? What should they be thinking about besides? law school, just in their everyday life? I think what led me to have the opportunity, which is unique, it's not really replicatable, uh, I don't think. What led to it was that, again, going back to willing to work hard, outwork everybody, do everything that needs to be done. Everything I did from a professional standpoint was designed towards building my skill set, making me really valuable. Um, and I'm one of those people who's lucky. Like I know I'm doing exactly what I was meant to be doing. You know, I, I was not nearly as good a pitcher as I am an advocate in court, negotiating, whatever. So the early part of my life, my professional life was focused on honing those skills, getting better at it. And what that provided me is the skill set that when I had the opportunity to represent somebody, I could do an outstanding job. And then in terms of building the relationships with the people you want to work with, or even just your network in an industry, it's just about adding value. Right. And so it's about continuing to increase your knowledge base that are relevant to the people that you're wanting to work for or work with and making yourself a service. You know, if there's if there's a, a charitable organization, be a part of it, get on the board and continue to just be proactive in thinking about how you can positively affect other people's lives and be there for them. So that's where that's where it separates from, you know, desire and narcissism into reality. People do not stay. You do not retain if you're a narcissist, if you're in it for yourself. If you're a narcissist and you're listening right now, it's going to be hard for you to be an agent because the players are in it to play the game and they want someone that's taking care of them. And if you're just looking out for yourself, you're not going to retain your people and you're going to get this reputation and you're not going to be able to recruit people back to Jeff's three things. 
you're constantly prepared when opportunity comes. So we talked a second ago about setting up for the next step. We don't know what the next step is, but you're constantly prepared and success. You said luck. Yeah, you're lucky enough to be prepared when opportunity comes. So Greg could have not gone to law school and never been a lawyer and never worked for Morad Steinberg. He could have not taken accounting and been an accountant and Jeff might not have seen him as as the possible entrepreneur. So you were prepared when opportunity comes, but your whole life is adding value. Your whole life. And it's and I'm the same way. And, and some of our friends are constantly trying their hardest to deliver value to their buddies, to their families, to their communities, to their business, to their clients. And you're not doing it. It's not fake. And if you're listening right now, and there's been a lot of people on the show that are super successful, and a lot of them talk about working harder than anyone. They always worked harder than anyone. But there's this side note that you're highlighting. It's to do well, to do well by others. So you're working hard, adding value, concerned about the clients. You like what you do, but you're making sure that everywhere you go, you leave these little deposits of Greg made your life better. In my personal life, um, your friends around you, we were talking about you on the bus yesterday and the value you add at the gym because I guess you're so yoked. I never noticed. I always thought you were just kind of a little dude. I never noticed that, you, that you're that you yoked. You're off value, value, value. So Morad somehow sees it. And, and, uh, and I know you're super close with Morad and I've seen like, I've seen a couple of times when he sees you and he goes up and talks, gives you a big hug because you probably, he probably feels it from you too. So he sees this weird value in you. You move in, you become an agent, you take over the agency, you do a leverage buyout. So how did that work? Your 29 year old lawyer probably got a little bit of money, but they just want a $45 million lawsuit. They got a lot of money. They're worth a lot. How do you do a leverage buyout to become an entrepreneur that happens to be an agent? Well, the backdrop is that uh, Steinberg and Morad had sold their agency to a large financial services company. And so when I tried the case, the owner of the company was this financial services company. After we won the case, they were now sitting on a big judgment and sitting on the assets. They decided that it was time for them to sell. And the biggest issue for them was being able to collect contracted revenue on the books. So those are fees athletes owed based on contracts already negotiated. And um, I, I was able to get in and negotiate a deal with them where I would basically take care of the contracted revenue. I would, I would own, operate the business, change the name to Legacy Sports Group and you know continue to grow the business, but that would be mine. The contracted revenues would be theirs. Okay. So, and so when we say leverage buyout, I was leveraging the acquisition against the assets of the company to buy the company back. And so you didn't actually pay any money. You made sure they got the money they already were due. I paid nothing for it. And then immediately out of the gate, um, I was approached by lots of people who wanted to be partners, who wanted to get equity, or who just wanted to buy the agency. Things that would make it easy because with a leverage management buyout, we're leveraging the assets of the company. Those assets you would typically use for overhead to run your business. And I didn't have that. So we were trying to figure out like on the fly how to, how to operate the business without giving away equity. And so I did a lot of creative lending type deals, you know, even paid for my payroll up with a home mortgage on my house, just anything to keep it together. So we held onto the equity until we got to a point where we have done enough new contracts that all of a sudden the unencumbered revenue was flowing directly through to us. Yeah. So you, so you figured out you have the entrepreneurial issue of cash flow and people don't understand that you earn money one month, but you don't collect it for a few months. And you've got to pay all your costs. So you need money somewhere. And you didn't want to give up equity. You're in a 
in a bad spot. So you're probably going to be giving up equity undervalued. And many entrepreneurs have to take second mortgages, get money from their family, put stuff on credit cards, and you're in that world all of a sudden. Yeah. And that's what we see. Like That is really the norm these days where people, rather than dealing with hard times and that kind of stuff and making it happen from an entrepreneurial standpoint, will take on partners, like a lot of private equity money involved in early businesses, things like that. And again, I chose to sacrifice not to make it easier now, but hold on because I had a lot of confidence. I always had a lot of confidence in myself, but I had a lot of confidence in my team and a lot of confidence in the, the young players we were representing. And I wanted to hold on to all that ownership. So was willing to sacrifice, make it really tough for the first two to three years, and then really enjoy that upside once the company really started to blossom. Do you think it's somewhat unique to you to be able to see the future the way you see it? And to know, hey, I don't want to take on these these equity partners because this is going to be huge someday. Hey, I want to make sure I have enough equity left over to use in a different way. I think a lot of people don't see that. Um, why is it that you do? Uh, I don't know that there's anything unique. Um, I, I think I was given a really great opportunity and I just properly valued it. I think that's it. And also, I've I've just always had a lot of confidence in myself. And I would bet on myself more more than I would look for security, I, I would always prefer to just to bet on myself and assume that things are going to work out very well. Because you see the possibility. It's not horizontal. It's also vertical. You can succeed. You can fail. You can hit the hit the, the stars, the moon. And you're at this confidence where you think you can, you think you can, you think you can. And if you're listening to the car right now and you don't have that confidence yet, you got to fake it till you make it because people can see it. People can smell it. You got to fake it till you make it and almost be arrogant before you earn that confidence. And Greg has never been arrogant, but he's not that I know of. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up, I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. Uh, so you get, into, you get into the agency, you've got this leverage buyout, and then all of a sudden you do something that I think was never done before. I don't think that there were, were there public agencies before Legacy Sports did its IPO and you combined with two other agencies and you raised some money uh, through this IPO to buy a bunch of agencies. Was there public agencies before that? Um, no, I believe we were the first uh, agency to IPO. And the reason why you told me this before, why, why weren't the others public? Uh, typically agents agencies are kind of secretive. They, they want to keep information confidential. Certainly you, you want and have to keep your client information confidential. And that's always, but you're able to do that as a public company as well. So, but nobody had done it because it's a very competitive business as well. They don't want every other agency in their financial business. 
And so why did you feel comfortable going public and letting people into your financial business? I was really proud of the way I had built the company and run the company. I didn't feel like we had really any concern about people. If you looked at our finances, you'd see one of the most profitable agencies in the world at the time. And so I felt really confident about the way we did our business. You know, I didn't have a lot of agencies have things they're trying to keep secret. I didn't really have that. So I wasn't so concerned about it. Once I satisfied myself that I could keep my client information all confidential, then I, I was okay with it. And I mean, to be perfectly frank, this was a great business opportunity. So I had held on to that equity. My partners and I got all the way to a point where the agency now from a financial standpoint was about twice as big as Steinberg and Morad ever was in terms of our, our financial performance and success. And it was the right time to try to do something creative. I was also seduced a little bit with the international aspect. So we IPO'd on the AIM in the UK. So going public there and then exploring, buy, raising money to not just do the IPO, but to buy other agencies around the world was really interesting to me. I was I was looking for that kind of a move to branch out a little bit. So you know, we did it. And, you know, now I'm in London every two or three months for a board meeting, bought agencies in Australia, all over uh, the UK, other parts of Europe as well. So it was it was very uh, it was very exciting for a time. And I believe uh, you uh, were one of the biggest agents in baseball in the U.S. And I believe when you started buying these other agencies, you were representing as many as 30 percent of the soccer players in Europe. Is that right? Uh, no, I don't think that high in terms of soccer, but we we did have a lot of soccer clients. We represented all the rugby players as well. Rugby sucks. Yeah, I, I would agree. No, <laughs> I was with I was with Treester yesterday, and uh, you know he was voted the most annoying person in professional rugby, and everybody just takes it. So I just whacked him all day long, and I feel so much better about myself for bringing negativity to the group, which you never do. So you're in this public company, and you and I were talking about just how much work it was. Your kids were getting a little older, um, and you wanted to be more in the entrepreneurial role, I believe, than in the day-to-day -day role of an agent. You had a few clients that you would never let go because you're such a relationship person and, and you want to retain them just like you want to be retained by them. They're your buddies. You respect them a lot, but you wanted to do something different. So you divested out of the public company and kind of became, I guess, jobless, right? At one point in time. Yeah, it, it was, to be honest, an acrimonious ending to to the previous agency but ultimately i got my freedom which is what i was looking for um so that was like uh the end of 2018 beginning of 2019 i was free uh, i was teaching still at oh yeah at berkeley at berkeley law uh, i started to do some writing projects with the author michael lewis who's a good friend of mine and i wasn't sure what i wanted to do next i was approached by a bunch of agencies like caa asked me to come in and lead their sports division uh, some other agencies did i wasn't really interested I've always, I think, enjoyed the entrepreneurial aspect of the agency business as much as being an agent. And so the notion of working for other people, that kind of stuff, I want to work for my clients and that's it. And then I want to have the freedom to work with the people I want to work with, like to pick my clients. Like, I don't want to worry about revenue or how good a player is if I don't want to work with them. I want to work with the people I want. I want to work for the people I want to work for. I want to work with the people I want to work with. I want to move in sports that interest me. Like today I'm representing pro surfers. And that's, you know, surfing is my passion. Like I've wanted to do that my whole life. And so really having that freedom was paramount to me. So I ended up doing a deal with some capital partners, starting a new agency from scratch, you know, from zero. I think Justin Turner was the only client I brought over. All the other clients I had transitioned, moved on. They were in good hands. 
Justin, just based on our relationship, we, you know, we, we stuck together and we started from scratch and it's been a crazy ride. And so, uh, and again, I'm just thinking of your vision of next steps. So you and I were having lunch one day at the deck, I think, and you start talking to me about these image rights. And I'd never heard of these image rights. And then, you know, a few months later, I see in the news that they're changing the way they do college sports and the schools are no longer going to have the image rights on the players. The players are. And years before you talked to me about when you pick up clients and, you know, nobody's paying attention to a lot of the college students because the contracts aren't big enough. And a lot of agents will go in to maybe the second round. And then all of a sudden you're talking to me about image rights and people that haven't made any money yet. And you you kind of could see that back to your your view of the next steps. You could see the industry taking next steps before it did. You could see the world changing. So you start up a, a relationship with Gary Vaynerchuk, Jerry V, and you create Vayner Sports. And I believe you created Vayner Sports, if I'm remembering right, to go after partially to go after some of these up and coming athletes years before you would have at legacy sports and partially to get this diversity of some of the action sports. Is that right? Definitely. So I'm sitting there. I've started this new agency, really no name, no anything yet. One client, whatever. A few employees that people I really respect, I brought in right away. Great capital partners. And I'm I'm starting here. This is a really cool thing, right? The last time I started a sports agency, it was already an existing one. There's existing team members, some existing clients. I didn't know what I was doing. It was kind of on the fly. Now, here I am starting a sports agency, having created one of the more successful ones. And I have this like this blank canvas where I can I can decide what colors I want to use, how vibrant certain things are going to be, what areas I want to go in. And, you know, a big thing for me and something I taught in class was was the unfairness uh, to amateur athletes, to the college players in different sports who are participating in these multi-billion dollar industries and, you know, didn't have enough money to buy food or clothes to wear. And, And I'm not exaggerating. That has been my experience over the years. And then seeing the political landscape with Supreme Court rulings, you know, this NCAA monopoly was about to end. And so for me, it was really important from not just from a business standpoint and building this business, but from kind of the the ethics and ethos of the sports, of what I do as a sports attorney to really help drive that change. So my focus for the new agency was going to be on providing service to those amateur athletes. And, you know, from, from a sports agency selfish standpoint, it's really great to be able to get in early with superstar athletes, educate them and provide value in terms of marketing dollars right away. So that was my focus. When uh, I met Gary V and AJ Vaynerchuk and we sat down and kind of just, they were dying to, to be in the sports industry as well. Um, they offered for me an unbelievable brand to affiliate with, uh, a brand that's about delivering on the advertising, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, all these things that I think are so critically important for young people and young athletes to get involved with. And I was really excited. And our meeting was amazing from like the first get-go, just talking about our passion for educating clients, exposing them to entrepreneurship opportunities, helping them promote their brands, helping them get better in, in the sports they play. And he also was focused on and, and really getting involved and, and changing the landscape and helping these amateurs. And we, you know, I think our discussion period lasted about two days over Super Bowl. And from that point on, we were like immediately like exchanging documents and putting this agency together. 
and really getting going. And, you know, again, it was like this, this really strong unified passion of being an educator. I, I'm a teacher. That's, that's a really fundamental part of my job. And I can think of nothing I would rather do than, than work with, with young people and help educate them, help them find their path and execute. And it's amazing where the serendipity comes from. If you're listening right now, a lot of this stuff is, I mean, we're going to go back to luck again, being prepared when opportunity knocks. And a lot of it is keeping your options open. So what is Greg doing? He's teaching law school in Berkeley. He lives in Laguna Beach. And I remember you and I talking about how he was so passionate about wanting to rewrite the curriculum for the law school program and rewrite the curriculum for the agency track for lawyers because you thought it was off and how passionate you were about commuting to work 442 miles. And you're going up there and you love the students and you love the school. It's the school he went to. So you have this just bound up passion. You've got this never ending hard work. And then you're constantly trying to deliver value. So if you're listening right now, this is what a unique ability is. Not only are you good at it, you're passionate about it. And when you're passionate about it, and, and, and then also just this back to recruit, retain, he's retaining not just his relationships, he's retaining his passions, retaining his ties to these different communities. So you're up teaching law school at the cutting edge of what's happening in the sports world. So the reason why you knew before me isn't because I don't know anything about sports. You knew before other agents, you knew before the rest of the world, because you happen to be following this passion, delivering value to your alma mater, delivering value to these students at the cutting edge of information and you realize the world's changing and you realize I want to be this entrepreneur again. And what do entrepreneurs have to do? Recruit, recruit, retain employees and negotiate. You bring all the good ones back because you're good at retaining relationships, bring all your employees in. You don't have a brand, but you have this vision. And did you just go to the Super Bowl and run into Gary V or you had planned to meet around the Super Bowl? No, we, we planned it. So I was planning to be there. He and his team were planning to be there. And we had a, a mutual friend in the industry who who saw it before we saw it. That you know you've got this Vayner Empire that offers all of these amazing benefits for young people, for for young athletes, all these amazing services. And then you've got Greg who's starting a new one who's negotiated over four billion in in sports contracts, and it's just like the perfect marriage. And so you've got this vision. They have a vision. The visions come together. You have. You're delivering different values. They've got brand. You've got the skill set and you create this wonderful partnership and you went into a different place because I see you on Instagram. It's always no longer um, the big football. There's a, I think there's probably a few big football players. There's a few baseball players, but it's a lot of UFC and uh, is it World Surfing League? Is that WSL? Is that right? Yes. Oh, my God, I got it right. Um, I'm seeing a lot of those players on your feed. So you're seeing now, I think a change in the type of sports people watch and you're predicting that. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're looking for the combination, right? Like we want to be, we want to be very active in successful, lucrative sports. Emerging sports is really important, but we also want to follow our passion and we want to be in the sports that again, right? Like it, it, we talked a lot about how, you know, hard work is the key. Hard work is much easier, much more rewarding when it's towards something you're passionate about. And so that's that's really important to to all of us at Vayner Sports as well. What 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 do we really want to be doing with our lives? And you know, first and foremost, we want to be positively affecting the lives 
of the clients we work for. But also we want it. We want to be in areas that fire us up, you know, and, and we're skipping over that. And that, that's what we're doing today. Like I'm super passionate about 20 somethings. I was on the bus yesterday and everybody knows I'm super passionate about it. Trying to deliver value, not narcissistic, trying to deliver value. You're super passionate about these young athletes. Some of them, you know, may come from not any money. And all of a sudden they have a lot of money and you're teaching them how to save and teaching them how to think ahead about their money and teaching them about, uh, to think about the next steps. I believe you told me that the average football player is only in the league for three years. And the agent, a lot of time is the person that helps them understand the different possibilities in the future. You may go to the pro bowl or you, you may be out in three years. What's your next step? What, and, and Greg doesn't look at it that way. What are your four or five possible next steps? What are you doing to prepare? What are you doing to save? What are you doing to be able to add value later? I want to come back to, and I know we're running out of time here. I want to come back to something you told me a long time ago. You said, uh, one, agents need to be a lawyer. If you want to, I said, because I've talked to you about people that want to be agents that work in my college works brand. And you said, tell them they need to be a lawyer. And then you also said, tell them most agents don't make any, make that much money. And I believe at the time you said there were only five agents in the world that were making real money. So why do they need to be a lawyer and why only five? Well, first I'll say that there are many successful agents who are not lawyers. However, I think the fundamental nature of the service provided requires a level of expertise in multiple areas and, and the law is definitely one of those. So I would encourage people to become lawyers if they want to be agents. Not required. It's certainly not required in every sport, but I think it's it's of a huge advantage. And at the end of the day, we're negotiating contracts and uh, the law degree is very helpful. I encourage people who want to be agents to get a law degree, or if it's an MBA, instead you want to get get it again, because the key is to acquire skill and services so that when you have a client, you have something really valuable to offer them. Too often in the agent business, you have people who are focused more on being an agent before they've developed the skill set that allows them to add value to somebody's life. And so you see a lot of bad agenting work going on out there. And the truth is, is that the agent world is very small, at least in terms of the agents or agencies that are are really doing well financially, making money. You know, I I, I oftentimes get students in my class, I, I want to be a baseball agent. So that's great, you know, but you're in the right place right now. You're at Berkeley Law getting your education and hopefully you get there. But keep in mind, so now in my 20 years of being an agent in baseball, there's like four of us agents who have done about 80% of the contracts. It's a very small grouping of people versus you think of all the different areas you can go in business, in a law career, uh, all the different, the world is big and vast, right? So I think when you're young, it's important to focus on building your skill set, building you. So, so that, as you said a couple of times, Matt, when opportunities present themselves, you're ready to jump on it. You're ready to execute, do something great. You can only do that if you have the skill set first. So uh, I think it's really important to not put the cart before the horse. And especially it's important to recognize that your desired field may be a very small one. Doesn't mean you can't get there. Absolutely, you can. Uh, it's just important to keep that in mind before you pigeonhole yourself. Yeah, so there's a lot of patience in what you're talking about. You're patient enough to go to accounting, patient enough to get an extra degree, patient enough. And at the same time, you have multiple tracks. It's not a Y fork in the road. It's like 10 different paths you could travel. And you don't know which one you're going to like the most. You, you and I are born to do what we're we're doing right now. But maybe, maybe Greg would have ended up being a wonderful trial attorney and loving that. Maybe I would have ended up being, uh, well, definitely I would not have loved being a lawyer because I'm not detail oriented, but a teacher. 
I figured out a different way to be a teacher. He's figured out a different way to actually be a lawyer, adding value to his clients. I'm adding value to my employees. I also want to just talk about your kids. And I'll never forget that four in the morning or whatever time it was in Cuba. And I'll never forget some of the stuff that was going on, car crashes and crazy stuff that you're dealing with. And you work so hard. You've talked about it a few times, adding value, working hard, adding value, working hard. But then there's your kids. And you're on surf trips with your kids. You talk to me about them. Every time we talk, we're talking about the kids. How do you maintain a great relationship with your children? I could say this. My my daughter and I don't have a great relationship. And I'm waiting patiently, waiting patiently. One day she's going to let me in. You, you've got a, just this wonderful relationship and you work harder than me and you're busier than me and you're flying around even more than me, which I didn't think was possible. How are you able to still be a wonderful dad, still be a wonderful friend and kick ass so much and work so hard elsewhere? I think like the 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 experience parenting is amazing and eye-opening. Like I think it was really easy to have that relationship with your kids when they're like ages four through 12 where like they look up to you, everything you do is cool, you know, just want to be with you and hang with you. Then all of a sudden they become teenagers, right? And their instinct is to push away. And, you know, I like thin crust pizza. So then my daughter like deep dish, right? I like New York, you know, they like LA, like what whatever the opposite is, all of a sudden now everything's the opposite. And for me, it was a real adjustment to um, really just make it about somebody else, you know, make it about about them. This isn't somebody I'm creating. This is, you know, this is a child of God in and of themselves that I'm lucky enough to, to get to play this role. But for me, it's really about letting my kids be who they are and just trying to be there and support them and making sure it's just about them and not about me and that I don't get my feelings hurt when they don't want to talk to me or they bark at me or whatever. Um, but it's been a, like a really growth experience for me you know, to try to have relationships as my kid with my kids as they now are becoming adults. One is 19, one is 17. And and really just trying to be supportive of them and what they want to do and not having kind of my stamp on it, rather just my support behind it. And that's been the challenge for me. And I think, you know, you're a wonderful father, Matt. And I love, you know, the fact we just stay in there, right? When it's not going right with with you just hang in there. Just keep you just keep showing up, right? Just keep showing up and doing your best. Yeah. So uh, all of this is tying together. You got the perseverance, you got the patience, you got the hard work. I'm still having a hard time grasping. You know, you're off surfing. I think you took your kids to the Kelly Slater thing. Did you take them to the Kelly Slater wave? We're actually going uh, Tuesday. You go, is that first time? First time, yeah. And are you coupling that with a work trip and you're bringing your kids on a work trip or is this just a kid's trip? When you're off surfing, wherever you're surfing, and I see you on Instagram, or you tell me you're going somewhere. Is that a work trip and you're taking the kids, but you got time you know, to do this podcast. You got time to do your Nordic track every single day, pulling those little cords so you get those muscles going a little bit. <laughs> is, it, is it a Nordic track that I hear you do? Uh, you got time. I, that 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 in thigh buster. Yeah, you got you're doing the thigh buster. You're doing the Nordic track. You're going surfing. You're making time for the kids. You're doing podcasts with me. You're doing lunch with me. You're going on a YPO trip to um, Spain to run with the bulls. Um, you're back in Scottsdale, Arizona during I guess it would be spring training already. Spring training already. Yes, spring sir. training already. How do you balance the time? How do you get all that done? How do you have the time to be present and to persevere in, in your Zen studies and your spiritual studies, one of the more spiritual people that anybody will ever meet? How do you get it all done? I think just prioritize and, and always make time for what's important. 
that's it. Daily practice. How do you make time? Daily practice. You know, you you have your practices that you stick to every day. Morning meditations, morning yoga, cold dip in the ocean every morning. Those are the practices I try to adhere to. Some days are better than other days. But the idea is trying to keep it a practice, stay dedicated. And then in terms of the all of the bit things we're busy with on a daily basis, work, family, it's prioritizing. And it's, you know, often I think doing the same thing, Matt, we're making hard choices, mm-hmm. right? We're making hard choices. And sometimes, you know, we need to say no to things that we really want to do because there's something that's just more important that needs to be done. Yeah. So a busy person is constantly shifting things, but you have, I'm getting bumped for lunch today. I'm not getting bumped the next time because he already bumped me once. So he's not going to do it twice. And he's going to remember that, but you're strategically shifting and he's got to go to Scottsdale to save himself from an 11 hour commute because the person he's going to Scottsdale to meet is meeting him halfway. So you're shifting and you're ordering and you're constantly seeing the future in your career, constantly seeing the future in your work week and moving things around to adjust your long-term relationships, your long-term career. And then you mentioned briefly routine, cold dip in the ocean, meditation. Um, I do three positive things about Jill, three affirmations, workout in some form. Most people that are pretty successful will create routines to make it so they don't have to think about things. You don't have to think about what you do in the morning. It's always the same. You don't have to think about your decompress. It's always the same. So you have more time for your for the items you have to be somewhat pensive on. I totally agree with that. My my morning practice that I do adhere to every day is gratitude. You know, I immediately begin the day thinking about the things I'm grateful for, affirmations, as you said, and thinking through what it is I want. And, and then that helps me prioritize so that if I do that in the morning, then when the day begins and I start executing different things, I'm I'm able to prioritize and, and I think do so in an effective way. Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to Jeff Morad. Shout out to Jeff Morad for bringing Greg into my life um, and having him join our business cult. I'm grateful for Greg making time today. I'm grateful for actually the example that you always set for me and the little check-ins, whether you know you just checked in with me. I know you, you know you checked in in the beginning of the call, but whether you know you just checked in with me on am I gracious enough? You just checked in with me on is my routine great enough? You just checked in with me are are my muscles bigger than Greg's? And should I also do the Thigh Master and Nordic track? And I really appreciate it. Um, and that's just what's happening. You got these different paths, these different things going on, adding value, adding value, adding value. And that's what makes you a great entrepreneur. And that's what makes you a great agent. And I really appreciate you coming on the edge of excellence, Greg. I am so happy to be here. I'm grateful for you, Matt. Thank you for taking some time to chat with me and very excited to be here. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.